everybody. Welcome to episode number 57 of Collectible Live. Today is Sunday, January the 8th, 2023, and my name is Jeremy Lee. I want to thank everyone who joined us last time with our guest Bob Means from eBay. You can check that out on both the Sports Cards Live and the Collectible YouTube channels if you have not seen them already. But we are going to bring out this week's guest, passionate collector, Matthew Cyrilnik. Welcome to Collectible Live and how are you on this fine Sunday, sir? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, you bet. It's uh, it's good to have you. And uh, I want to let everybody know. Post your questions, your comments. We're gonna we're gonna integrate them into the episode. And Matt, we didn't really know each other until we were both invited onto Rob Gerard's podcast at the end of 2022, where we met live for the first time in his uh, in his studio. That's and true. We- yeah. Yeah, we, and we had we had a great episode with him. Chris McGill from Card Ladder was the third panelist, along with you and me. And uh, and then it's really funny because, as coincidence would have it, um, Ezra from Collectible messaged me a few days later saying, "Hey, by the way, Maddie C Collection is going to be your guest on Collectible Live coming up." And I said, I, I wrote back and said, "Well, isn't that great? We've already we've already done some content together, have a good rapport. So, and you're somebody who I wanted to to talk to more and learn more about, and really." Um, help you get your message out there being how you approach the hobby and all of that. Cause I, I have a, a lot of respect for how you, how you approach the hobby as far as your own collection goes. Um, but let's start off with something sort of outside the hobby for you, which is, you know, I grew up in the eighties and I saw the movie Rambo yeah. and Rambo was uh, I mean, you know, Rambo Rocky and all that. You happen to be the the person who wrote the final movie in the in the Rambo saga, Rambo Five: Last Blood, right? You wrote that, did you not? Yeah, with with Sly, with with Stallone, not not just by myself. We did it as, as a team. Well, so he's, he's the. I mean, he wrote he wrote the Rocky screenplay. He's a fantastic fantastic writer. I learned a ton from him. But but so let me just imagine it. So there you are. Hey Rock or Hey Sly, I'll be over. I'll be over in fifteen minutes. We're going to continue writing this this movie, and you guys would get together and, and write this thing out. I mean, what was it like working with Sylvester Stallone? Oh my God, it was it was um, it's surreal. I mean, first of all, I mean he's the most down to earth, um, fantastic, natural guy ever, um, and really puts you at ease. But being born in seventy six when when Rocky came out. It's still of all the people I've worked with. It still would be moments of, you know, when we're going over dialogue and he's reading it. And I'm like, wait, that's Rambo reading <laughs> reading the Rambo dialogue. So it's um, that part of it. You know, the the 10, 12, 13 year old, fourteen year old in me who grew up such a, a fan of him. It's it's similar to if you see a baseball player today and you're a baseball fan. It's a tremendous amount of respect, but. When I ran into Don Mattingly at the Grove one time here in Los Angeles, I turned into a 10-year-old again and could barely speak. So um, there's something about the, the the idols you had from your childhood that have a, yeah. you know, you can't shake that. And especially when they sort of transcend culture or just yeah. become such an integral part of North American culture. I mean, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky Rambo, like uh, that, that's a big deal. Anyway, it's pretty cool, man. And it's it's, you know, as far as being a hobbyist, we all... All of us hobbyists, most of us have something else in our life. We, we, we have a hobby as a hobby. The hobby is truly a, our hobby, even though for many people, myself included, it's become more than just a hobby now. But it is a hobby, and we all have 
our other interests, our families, our careers. And you never, unless you talk to somebody, you don't know where people come from, what, what, what their backgrounds are, what their vocation is. And, you know, it's, uh, you, we have athletes collecting. We have we have screenwriters in Hollywood like yourself that are collecting. We we have accountants, doctors, tons of dentists in the hobby. So it's just it's My just one of them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So before we get into more, I do want to discuss and just share a bit of a sneak peek into the press release that is going to be issued tomorrow by Collectible. So let me let me just get into that for a second, Matt, and then we're going to get back to you and we'll say hello to the chat. So. Tomorrow, in a press release, and I have permission to share this, Collectible will be announcing the next evolution of their platform as they will be unveiling a competitive bidding process with a fractional component for high-end collectibles. All right, so more of this. The process known as the BWIC, Bids Wanted in Competition, something I'm not too familiar with, but I plan to get more familiar with it. Again, bids wanted in competition is what this is called frequently used in the public financial markets and it will increase the liquidity. So liquidity will be increased on the collectible platform through this innovative and exclusive two-round sealed and competitive bidding process. It also provides objective price discovery, which I think is maybe the, the real the cool factor, one of the really cool parts of this whole thing. The launch also includes collectibles 4A for the first time outside of sports cards and memorabilia and integrated comic books and video games, TCG or trading card games like Pokemon, Magic, those sorts of things, as well as sports art. And in addition, it is their first foray into international expansion efforts as bidding will be open to collectors and investors all over the world. So a few really nice progressive initiatives by collectible and again being announced formally tomorrow so i also want to let everybody know next sunday on the show on collectible live ceo ezra levine will be our guest and he will come on to discuss and answer some questions on really how this bwick or bids wanted in competition process will work and uh he'll take more questions on that on that um innovation that they are that they're about to unleash later this month so exciting stuff and um with that Matt, I know, I know it's a lot of words there, but uh, I'm looking forward to the press release tomorrow. And of course, Ezra coming on here next week, next Sunday at this time to discuss it further. And with that, let's get on with the show. Matt, before we do say hello to the chat, I want to start with what may be a simple question, or it is a simple question, but it may or may not have a simple answer. And that is simply, why do you love sports cards? Okay. Well, yeah, it, it won't be a simple answer, and I, I try. I'll try not to make it a forty-minute answer. Um, different different cards you're drawn to, or I'm drawn to, for different reasons. Um, you, among them, and there's no there's no ranking of it. Some some cards I'm into because of the player, and it's not just his performance; it's his story, his biography, right? Like with Mantle, for example, I've read a lot about him. Um, uh, his his the things he overcame early in his life, the injury he overcame in 51, the pressures he overcame, um, being on the verge of quitting at one point. And that's just him as an example. So many players have compelling biographies that inspire you. Um, other times it's the aesthetics of the card. You know, one <clears throat> of my cousins and I, we talk about the 86 Tops Mattingly and how it just, it's just pop art. It's just beautiful. The black and the white and the out the pole focus background, 73 months in comes to mind, same thing. 
um, 74 C. There's so many, so sometimes it's the photography, sometimes it's the design of the card, what Topps or Donruss or Fleer did. Other times um, it's the rarity. Uh, so uh, it's, there's so many different, uh, sometimes just pure nostalgia, childhood nostalgia, you know, um, Daryl Strawberry card I posted today, you know. Uh, so it, it's, there's, there's many, there are many, many reasons why uh, a different uh, card would appeal to me. And were you like, you said you were born in 76, the year Rocky came out. So you're, you're old enough and young enough to have opened up packs throughout the 80s and the, the nostalgia of being a kid in school, opening packs, taking them to school, trading them at recess, opening that, those, when they were actually, we still call it wax, but when they were actually wrapped in wax paper, the gum. Do you have, like, is it is any of your interest in cards or to what extent is your interest in cards kind of tied back to those experiences of opening them up? You get that white dust on your fingers from the, right, from the gum and the smell of it all and the taste of the gum and then flipping through those cards, looking for your favorite players or looking for the last card you needed for the set that year. Do you have... Do you draw on that nostalgia today? That's, that's where it all comes from. It all stems from that. For me, it was 86. I was 10. You know, uh, both my cousins were, were into cards. Um, uh, one of them, the younger one called me and was like, you need to get this, this 86 Donruss. It's called Jose Canseco. There's a, a rated rookie logo. I'm like, what's that? What are you talking about? And then went to the corner. They didn't have Donruss. They had tops. I opened some packs and looked at a good and record breaker and was like, wow, this guy looks awesome. And just sort of got into it from, from there. Um, so it's, it's, it all stems from being, I think being a kid, I think nostalgia to a great extent, even, even some of the cards we first circle back to get after years, college, whatever, being out of the hobby, you come back and the first things you get are the things that you coveted as a kid. Right. So it's like, Oh, I'm getting that that 84 good and update that I never saw. And then of course, then there are things that you pine for as a kid, mantle cards. You know, the only time I saw certain mantle cards was in, in the pages of CCP guide or Beckett guide. That's the closest I came to those. So, um, so it all comes back to, to being a kid. I'm sure you could find your way to cards as an adult, but I think the, uh, the original seed has to be planted in boyhood, I would say. Yeah, I think so. If it's go, if the if the attraction currently is really, I say attraction, but it's more like uh, it, it's like it's like the 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 collector DNA. It's it's in our blood. It's it's a part. It becomes a part of you, it, especially if you grew up in those seventies or seventies eighties or even before, and you were opening up packs. You mentioned the eighty six Donruss Jose Canseco, the rated rookie symbol. I have a quick anecdote on that, Matt. Back in probably 1989, I traded away, would have been 89, maybe it was 90, 91. I traded away a, remember when, when car stereos were things that had face plays and you took the oh, face yeah. plays off? Oh yeah, the Benzie box. Right. Yeah, I had, a, I had an in-dash CD player for my car. I traded it to my LCS back in the day for a Jose Canseco Don Russ rookie card. Dude, I remember the one time I got my hands on an 84 Topps Mattingly because the Donruss was like unheard of, like 84 Donruss Mattingly, especially in New York City. It was like, does this thing exist? Who had, I didn't know any kids who had it. And I grew up in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. But one time I traded the kid across the street for his Topps. And then like his uncle came over and was like, nah, man, we're redoing that. You get it back. I was like, come on, man. We closed the deal. 
So I mean, there's certain, you know, so it's not just the packs, it's also, uh, but packs is a huge part. I remember finding different packs in different stores. You know, it's, um, again, that's all wrapped up in the nostalgia, but there's certain so, cards that you pine for as a kid that you couldn't find. And they took on, you know, a, a mystique that, that they retain to this day. You know? For sure, for sure. So do you, ha, have you collected the whole way through going back to the, the mid eighties? Have you been collecting all the way through till today? Did you take any time off? And, and if so, what got you back in? Um, I collected probably from, you know, 86 to 90, 91, then didn't in high school. And then, um, so I didn't do that in high school then, and, and not too much in college at all. But after college, when I came back, when I got my first sort of a sort of apartment because um, I spent a few months after college when I first started writing, I didn't even really have a place to live. I started writing movies right out of college. And so it was like hotel to hotel. But um, once I got settled in someplace, um, I got a, a Miss Pac-Man machine and started buying, you know, bo- boxes of 75 minis from like the baseball card kit. And then it just started going. My brother and I ripped like four boxes of 75 minis back then. But again, because 75s to us, it's also one thing to, to mention. I think a big part of what we pursue are the things we also were in awe of. You know, it's not just the things we didn't have that we that became these chimeras. It's the kid down the block, one person who had a 68 Ryan and a giant screw down. And before Wiffle Ball, we'd be like, yo, man, let's see it. Let's take it out. Take it out. My cousin was the only person who had Reggie in like this velvet pouch with the, you know, it's like a, a big, the, the pageantry of, oh, I'm going to take out the Reggie now. So it's, it's, that's also how certain cards were ex- exposed to us. And, you know, it's funny because today we ha- we see now people with their their special Zion cases carrying around their high-end cards in very nice holders, graded slabs within with, with, with other holders to, to, to hold that graded slab. Yeah. And then yeah, they pull it out. It's very similar now to showing off a high-end card the way it was back then. Yeah. When I was, I remember in the 80s, going to an LCS. There was one LCS that when I, I grew up in Winnipeg in Canada, and mm-hmm. there was a, this one LCS that I knew of that had a Bobby Orr rookie card in one of those one inch screw downs behind the counter on a high shelf. And I used to go in there and just stare at it thinking this is, this thing is like, it's a unicorn. You never mm-hmm. see those there. It's an amazing piece. It's a, it's a treasure, a true prized possession. I'll probably never own one of those. Then the internet comes along and, it, you know, more and more pop up. There's, there's more accessibility and, and just the availability, the, the, the opportunity to own more and more of them. So they don't become that rare, but I hear you. I grew up thinking I'm never going to own that card. And when I yeah. finally bought one, I think for the first time in about 2008, I felt like I'd made it in life because I, I had coveted this and dreamt about it for what, for, I don't know how 30 years at that point. So it was, pretty cool as you mentioned the way you mentioned that absolutely so let's let's uh before we get into your approach to the hobby and this is where i think you add valuable insight and perspective for people but first let's say hello to the chat big c7 is with us what's up with you loud collector is here happy sunday sports md card collector good evening splendid sports cards calls you maddie i appeal and that's a a bit of a preview into your approach. Luke Allen, what's up, Maddie and Jay Lee? Bleaker Street Cards, good to see you, Luke. Uh, Loud says the last dialogue line in Last Blood was so well-deserved for the entire Rambo series. Thank you, Matt. There you go. A little shout-out on, on your, your work. J. 
Jerry Hodge, good evening to you. Peeps, what's going on? Contender Sports Card says, why wasn't the gum wrapped in its own wrapper inside of the packs? Probably the same reason why, you know, the I remember, you know, Thrills gum? No. Thrills gum, purple little chiclet things that taste like soap. I mean, they, they used to come just loose in the box. Now they come in those sealed kind of uh, vacuum pack packages. I mean, let's face it, Contender, up until, I don't know, 20 years ago, there was uh, food safety wasn't as as uh, important or as tended to as it is today. I think that's the, the simple reason for that. But any comments on that, Matt, back then? I mean, the gum, it could poke through the wax paper if it if it was shaken up. And, you know, it could have been, something could have been done to Quality it. Quality control was always was always an issue. I, I remember my cousin once got, was it the Conseco 86 Donruss out of a pack? They were all off. And he was like, I got right into the company or something because it was, I mean, they were they were butchered. It was uh, quality control was not. I mean, that's why cent, that's a, centering became so rare because you pull cards out of the pack. I mean, seventy five. I remember the seventy five minis, especially opening box after box. With my brother, like, when are we going to get a centered card? And that the seventy five tops design in baseball is very. E- it's very easy to identify the centering because of the way the top color mm-hmm. kind of cuts off to the bottom color, and you can just measure those. Where, where they connect that's what i look to those two little lines on either side of the card Me too. so but you're right quality control back then i don't even think it, it was a priority because there's so many cards that came out of the packs with either rough edges or just off-centered or completely miscut and even back then that might have been uh a, there might have been a premium placed on some some crazy miscuts back then now we want centered cards quick hello to diamond card collector and foul fireball jeremy good to see you guys we had a good segue there, Matt, into quality control and centering. So why don't you share with the audience what your approach is? How do you, how do you, when you're looking for a certain card, what is your process and and what what, what are the various criteria that you look to? Um, well, the first thing I do is I do not at all get wedded to a grade because if I'm wedded to a grade, even if I like a card that presents like an eight or a nine or a 10, ideally, I mean, who wouldn't? Um, you can, it it automatically precludes you from finding what I think are the best cards to find in the hobby, which are cards that are twos and threes and fours that look like eights, nines, and tens. So the first thing I I will do is not at all shop for a grade. Um, the, the next thing I do is I, I scour all examples. I try to get a gauge for what the problems are with a card. Do I see every example is off-centered? That's what struck me about the 52 Mantle. Once I decided, you know, I want one of these. I never held one until I bought my first one in my 30s. And I remember shopping for it and being like, literally 99.9% of these cards are off-centered. 51 Bowman Mantle, it was not only they off-centered, but they have these two lines. And they're blurry. You know, looking at the photo, when you see one that's registered and you see one that's not of a 51 Bowman, it's almost like you can't look at one that's not registered. Um, so that I'll, I'll try to find the problems that are endemic to that card. 76 Brett, you know, it's got a lot of problems. Um, then what I'll do is I'll, I'll look around and see, uh, I'll reject anything that doesn't strike me as really well centered. And even before that, anything where the image is not clear. What, let me, let me, let me ask right there. Sent because when it comes to grading, and it comes to to just the general narrative in the hobby. Centering is like way up here, and then corners, edges, and surface seem to be kind of down here together. 
-hmm. surface maybe even below edges and corners. For me, surface, I consider to be the most important. Uh, and I include in surface the registration, as you quickly alluded to there. So why don't we just quickly, why don't you quickly discuss what is registration and where does it rank compared to centering and the other attributes? To, to me, they're, they're both, they, they, if anything, regist so registration for me is how the inks are laid and does that create a, a, an image that has precision to it or not? You can see errors in registration. For example, again, take the, the standard bearer of the hobby, the 52 tops mantle. Many of them, um, if, you, if you start looking for it, you'll see the top of his cap has a bit of a blur. Others, the inks were all laid the way they were intended and the cap's in perfect focus. 68 Ryan, possibly, uh, certainly one of the most iconic cards of its decade. Same thing. If you look to the left of their faces, Ryan's cap, Ryan's face, it could almost be like a, a doubling or a shadow effect or blur. So that's what I, I consider registration. For me, the image I'm looking at is paramount. I'm not, I mean, imagine buying a photograph. Let's say you're a photograph collector, whether it's a type one or, a, or an Andreas Gursky, you're not going to buy one that where the focus is messed up because that's what your eyes are looking at. Secondly, you want it framed evenly, right? So to me, eye appeal is primarily a function of the quality of the image and how evenly framed that image is, right? If you buy a painting, you're not going to frame it with three inches of frame on the left and one inch of frame on the right. You're not going to hang it crookedly on your wall, right? So to me, it's, it's pretty <clears throat> basic in terms of what contributes to eye appeal. And, and I think it's also... Um, human nature, that the eye is drawn inwards to the central image. Therefore, my eyes will go from the outside in. I'm not spending much time looking at the corners. I'm also not holding my cards like this, right? And I'm not looking at them under a loop. So when I put my cards on a wall display or I have my cards in hand at a casual distance like this, corner wear goes away first. I could see bad centering from 20 feet away, right? So, um, and then I, then I consider the fact that the, the maker, how was it intended? The card was intended certainly by design, whether it's a 52 tops or 75 tops, card was intended to be centered. And the card was also intended to be handled by children. So where to me seems natural, Centering to me seems like the ideal state. So a centered card with a good image, certainly the image was intended to be focused. It's photographs. So um, a centered focused card with some wear to me seems ideal, whereas bad centering or bad focus is a defect right out of the factory and therefore less desirable. But that's that's to me. No, I, I'm 100% I'm with you. You use the term focus and really that's what registration is. It's how focused is the image on the card. It's, it's like, you, as you said, they were intended to be to be focused, just just like you wouldn't go buy an image or uh, if you collect photographs, you want one that has focus. Same thing when you're taking a picture with your iPhone nowadays. If you take one and and you look at it after, oh, it's a little blurry because you should. You're gonna delete it and retake it right away. I there's nothing I the the last thing that I would add to my collection is a high grade card like a a near mint or a mint or a gem mint card graded by a third party grader uh, that is out of focus. I don't care how well centered, how sharp the corners are, how smooth those edges are. If that image is out of focus, 
it's not going to get its way into my collection, even, you know, even at a very good price. It might make its way into my inventory at a good price, but it's not making its way into my personal collection. I, I won't, I won't bid. I don't, I don't. And again, to, to each their own, I'm not here to proselytize or convert or tell people how to collect. I'm just here to share my, you know, answer the questions and share my perspective. Um, the, the, I, I won't bid. I see like a, a, a vintage mantle nine at an auction house sells for hundred, 200 grand. I'm, I'm like, well, I won't, I won't even bid on it. Right. It's just, it's not, um, cause I'm also, I don't, you know, that's not where my income comes from. I understand why a dealer would at a certain price want to sell it. But, um, to, to me, the aesthetics, the, the thing, the, the beauty of the item I'm looking at matters to me. And I'm looking at the item, right? I'm not looking at the, the sticker above the item that tells me what someone else thought about it, right? What matters is what I think about it. I I'm with you. That is a, that is a, it, it almost feels like a revolutionary approach to, to sports card collecting because many people are looking first at the label above the card to see what the grade is. And maybe it's because some people just don't have that skill. They don't know what to look for. They love these things. Maybe they don't know what to look for, but I think that people can be trained on that or can just get used to knowing what to look for by consuming content, looking at more and more cards. And what you said before was really key. You will look at several examples of a card to figure out what its common flaws and issues are so you can find a copy that will be void of those flaws or issues or minimized if there's something there no matter what. And you called out a few that are commonly out of registration or out of focus. And I draw attention to the 48 Leaf Jackie Robinson, probably my favorite baseball card of all time. Oftentimes it is out of focus, and you can see that that shadow. The Wilt Chamberlain, 61 Fleer rookie. Mm-hmm. One of the easiest ways to see if the registration is perfect or not is you look under his under his armpit, and there's a, a slim white line between his the color of his arm and the mm-hmm. color of the background. And you know that it's just there was a slight registration issue. And sometimes it's very common. Of course, the Wayne Gretzky Obichi rookie is notorious where, where we look at how that little oil drop within the Oilers logo is placed on the corner of the card. So registration, hugely important. But again, as you said, we're not here to tell people how to collect. I know some very accomplished collectors who don't care about the card. All they care about is the grade because they want to compete on the set registry. But that's that's not for me. What, what do you think of, of that approach? Again, if what, what is paramount is that the collector is enjoying themselves and having a good time and happy, right? So if that's the case, fine. For me, that's I can't I can't get with that. The notion of bond because I you could say that that's not collecting cards, that's collecting the stickers to play a game online, is, is what that is. Um, because it's about the GPA on a website and you know competition. Um, but it's competition about those stickers and what number was put on those stickers. It's not competition for what card looks prettier. I mean, they got to call it what it is. Um, so it, that's a different game. That's not a game that I play, um, especially for my sign cards, because um, they, you know, what I like about those, they really defy that type of reductive, what box does it go in? Because you can have a, a, a nine graded card with an autograph, but if the autograph is placed in the wrong place or it's faded, so what? Right. You could have a beautiful autograph, but if the card is really, really beat up, 
and OC and blurry. So what? So yeah. you can't just go, well, that's, you know, that's a high sticker. So it's great. You can't, you could have high grade in one or the other and it could be terrible. Um, so it kind of forces you to, to be live outside that paradigm of, of, you know, obeying the number from whatever grader said what that day. Yeah, for sure. And you, you said you mentioned the term OC, just if anybody does know, that means off center. There's lots of common acronyms in our hobby. The other thing I want to point out, just to be fair and to play both sides, is that there are some cards that are in nine slabs and 10 slabs. So graded nine or 10 gem mint or, or mint or um, mint plus that are worthy of those high grades that are mm-hmm. extremely beautiful. But if I'm correct, Matt, and following you, and you have to, if you, if anyone out there, if you're not yet following Matt on Instagram, his Instagram handle is on the ticker right now at Matty C underscore collection. You have to follow because he's always showing examples of where, you know, a card graded by say PSA as a four might present a lot nicer than a card graded by PSA as a seven. And there's a lot of money that can be saved yet the the card in your collection will be just as nice, if not nicer, based on eye appeal. However, the technical reasons why that card is a four versus the technical reasons why the the opposing card is a seven may be completely legitimate. There could be reasons outside of the way they look, outside of the the registration and the centering. There could be something wrong with the back. There could be a, a, a minor crease on the back of the card that makes it a four or a three, but everything else about it is beautiful. I mean, that's a wonderful card to own at a fraction of the price of what a, it, without that crease or that little wrinkle on the back, that three or four could be a seven or eight or a six or a seven, whatever. And that could be tens of thousands of dollars of difference in some cases. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I, look, there, there are cards that are, that are graded accurately that have attributes that create eye appeal that is superior to higher graded cards. Then you have cards that are flat out misgraded. Cards that are seven that if you crack it out tomorrow, it could be a nine, right? Certainly when you go from one grade to the adjacent grade, that's that's where you know almost any card that's high end for its grade, if you cracked it and resubmitted it 10 times, it's gonna come back in another number half the time. That proves to me that, and I've had it happen, I experimented with that years, you know, decade ago. Um, when you see that happen over and over again, you go, well, wait a minute, why am I putting so much stock and so much money into these into these stickers when today's nine is tomorrow's 10, today's 10 is tomorrow's nine, this eight could be an 8.5 or a 7.5 or a six. It, once you see how inconsistent it can be, it's it just, the old, to me, the only, um, the only logical choice after that was to put what my, the satisfaction my eyes received from the card as the most important thing and the only thing that matters. Right. And certainly, like you said, there are nines and tens that are accurately graded. That's fantastic. But I think the best nine is the one that the collector buys in an eight holder. And the best 10 is the one he finds in an eight or sometimes, a, you know, seven and a half holder. Certainly better in a, a 10 is better to find in a nine than a 10. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and then again, I think that um, if, you know, if I could find a card that pleases my eye, that's a, you know, it, it comes down to what people define as best, right? Like the grading company, I remember they, one of their models, you know, buy the best you can afford. What does that really mean though? You want me to buy the highest grade, your highest grade? So that way you can, you know, tweet about that and say, look, our 10 sold for this record number, right? 
Um, or is the best card pound for pound the best card, right? If I buy a 10 that looks like a nine, to me, that's pound for pound much worse than if I buy a one that looks like a four. That card's the winner. Yeah. If I, you know, I, I have a, a Donruss Madden lean, a 10, 84, and a friend of mine, um, a collecting buddy through Instagram, has an 8.5, looks identical to me. That 8.5 is better than my 10. Because, because I, I can sell because it. Because it, it comes with thousands of dollars. Because it comes, it comes with thousands of dollars. Yeah, it's like it's like someone giving you the same thing and money. It just makes sense, and that's just for things that look the same, right? I mean, don't get me started on a, on on a four that you know looks to the eye from a casual viewing distance better than a much worse centered or focused seven or eight. That's going to cost you hundreds of thousands more. That's where things get re- to me. Those become the no brainers um, for sure. I mean, you yeah. look at what. What you know, I listed a bunch of tens that you can buy and cost you a quarter million, right? Um, use your eye, spend 2500 Man, if you think there's a thousand bucks different in what you're looking at, I, I would debate that. I think if you cover, I've done that with my own family, right? Where I've had my brother and my mom, and I'm like, you know, I'll cover the, you know, I'll put like tape or cover the, the flips and say, which one do you think is better? You know, how many times they, they're shocked at that the, other one is, and let alone saying, well, that's a hundred grand better. That's 50 grand better. So. Yeah. And I just want to clarify, you've used the term stickers in the last few minutes here, but by stickers, you are referring to the labels or the flips Correct. within the graded slabs. Yeah. All right. Let's go to some comments here. We've had quite a few of them. Uh, Nikola Tesla says, I appeal matters way more. At least for me, there are a lot of high grade cards out there with terrible centering and other aesthetic flaws but they look terrible, at least for the grade. I think that I think we can all agree on that. Uh, Michael Ham, uh, good evening and good to see you as always. Uh, Aaron Daniels says, feverishly hunting a 54 tops Whitey Ford for three months, a nightmare for centering. Yeah, but at least you're not going to compromise, Aaron. All right? It doesn't sound like you're going to compromise, so hold out. I would, I would encourage yes. you to hold out. Peep says surface is number one, in my opinion. And I think surface, as long as you're including the, the registration, the focus of the card as, as, a, as a component of the surface, I'm 100% with you on that, Peeps. Uh, Rage is back. Good to see you and happy new year. Agree that centering is first overall. He goes on to say, when you go to the range, do you get extra points for shooting the sides of the bullseye? And then before that, do you look to the left or the sight and the center? Enough said. Yeah, good point right there. You get points for hitting it in the bullseye. Nick Martelli, good to see you again, says, that's like with some PSA 9s that are off-center that actually have an OC qualifier printed on the label. With vintage or 90s inserts, it can be mint, but the OC designation makes it tough to pull the trigger. Although, as I was mentioning to Matt the other day, I've met some people who feel that buying a card with an OC qualifier saves them a lot of money. They still get the great condition. Centering is not as important to them. And like Matt said, it's not up to us to tell anybody what's right, what's going to make you happy. If you like that, go for it. You're going to save a lot of money that way as well. Uh, Jeremy at Foul 5 Ball says, I look at corners first. And I think that stems back from like the 80s. I mean, that's the first thing I used to look at. Back then, Mm -hmm. corners were way more important than centering. That's how I remember. I had an LCS in the early '90s. It was all about corners, not all about centering. What's your recollection? Um, 
I, I remember noticing if things were really OC, but corners were were very important back then because um, we were we were also in an era where things that we desired would go right into a penny sleeve or sometimes into then a screw down. So we were already in this era of preservation. So you're starting out with everyone wanting to preserve their cards. Hence, again, that's why, you know, a 10 from 88 is, you know, so much less expensive than a 10 from, you know, 48 or 58. So I think that corners do take on more weight when you're talking about newer and newer pieces because they were being preserved immediately by us as kids. Whereas my dad, my uncles, they were, you know, they were putting these cards in this, their, their bike spokes and flipping them. We weren't doing that. Exactly. Rage says corners are second for him. Aaron Daniels here says, wish I felt this informed even four years ago when I started buying Mickey Mantles. I went for best grade I could afford. Now I make more discerning choices i think in in creating this episode i used the word discerning to describe you matt because i mean i have all the respect in the world for anyone i consider to be a discerning collector and you definitely fall into that and it seems like aaron daniels has made his way there and that comes with experience and time you have to pay a you you have to pay a little bit of tuition a little to 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 get into to get into the hobby a little bit of training you have to go through the cards again it it took me I was going through hundreds upon hundreds probably of examples of the 52 mantle or the 51 mantle before, you know, it really sunk in a centered, a a centered or close to dead centered 52 mantle is rarer than one that's in seven and eight plus. If you add them all up, there's, there's going to be less dead centered 52 mantles than there are mantles in grades seven, eight, nine, ten, three tens. If you add all those together. And then what began to appeal to me even more is then I began to say, well, I, I would love this player's autograph. How rare is it to find that autograph on that card on, on, you know, that card, meaning any card where the card has some eye appeal and the auto. So now you take cards from an era where centering was very rare. And I want an autograph that has stand, stood the test of time and is placed in the right section of the card. Now it's another layer. So it's again, rarity. I think that it's, it's specious sometimes to look at rarity in terms of population data. Well, look how few tens there are, but yes, but the tens, the nines are almost identical. Whereas to me, rarity that's born of centering or rarity that's created by the athlete himself having touched the card I, I, that rarity to me as a collector, that rarity appeals to me more. Yeah, I think that yeah, there's de- there's definitely more to rarity than just the print run. There's right. all, there's all these other things that you've mentioned, and I think it's you know it takes a you have to mature through this hobby, or you can try and fast track by consuming content and and befriending experts and that sort of thing. But everything you just mentioned, it just reeks of experience. To me, and uh, and I, I just I just I just love that. You know, you mentioned about how um, you know again, you can look at population reports for grading companies and see how many nines or tens or eights or sevens are of a certain card, and but 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 the rarity within there in terms of which ones present the the best mm-hmm. is something to consider, and this is really important when it comes to comping out a card if you are looking to purchase a card and you want to get an idea of what you want to pay based on historical sales you have to be able to dive in to drill deeper than just sales reports you need pictures because there could be a nine 
that was terribly centered that could, and especially if you're the seller of a card, if you have that same card or that, that a, a copy of that card in that same grade and you're looking to sell it and you see that the most recent comp on that was $10,000, but it was horribly centered, you may be justified in pricing yours at, you know, 1.5 to two times that amount or somewhere, somewhere else, but something more. I've seen threes of certain cards outsell sixes, right? It just, it, 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 it happens more than we would think, especially when rare attributes like centering are in play. And it's, and I think that again, it's, it's how we define rarity, how we define what is best to us, how we define what is most attractive. I just try, and I try to keep that evaluation as much about the card as possible, right? So again, to me, the sticker is not really the card. It is one grader's opinion of that card from a technical perspective at a given day. That 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 verdict would change. Not to mention, none of us were at the uh, the grading constitutional convention forty years ago when when they decided corners weigh so much. I wasn't there. I didn't cast a vote. So why am I now going to put that on a pedestal? Right. I, I have to decide for myself what I find attractive. So, again, I'm trying to look at a card shop and go, wait, I see more of them that are not centered than are in high grade. Or I see there's I, my brother and I were talking about the 53 tops mantle. It's like, wait, so there's 94 eights, but there's only 50 of them signed. But it's literally t- twice as rare of those 50 that are signed. How many look good? Yeah. So, um Again, I think it's important. It's all about the collector doing the critical thinking for himself and not taking it, not being too, um, it's not, it's not really easy. It's that, it's that I don't want to be, I don't want to just let the pop data and let the stickers do all the work for me. I want to make my decisions and I want to look at it from all the different angles first. Yeah. I like how you said that you weren't, you, we weren't at that meeting 40 years ago to decide no. What, how to weigh the different uh, criteria and attributes of a card's condition. Uh, Rage says right here, I believe centering should be 60% of the grade. And that is 100% legitimate. I'm not saying that 60% of the grade should go to centering, but I believe Rage and everyone else out there has the complete autonomy to decide for themselves mm-hmm. what percent of the grade should go to whatever attribute and then, and then buy that way and then and then rage should is he's doing the grading or she would when they're buying that's what i'm doing right that's why their cards where it's it's a three or a four and i'm bidding eight money on it because that's how i see it right right, right that's exactly. it's, i'm the buyer i'm the collector it's my opinion that counts not the sticker's opinion and i'm going to spend accordingly that's why it's like you'll see a psa three in the two mantle one sold for like hundred and sixty some odd thousand dollars people go oh that's crazy no that's what that that buyer those two bidders saw the beauty in that and acted accordingly so it's not again you can't be governed by that vcp grid or by that by that pricing data or or if you want again data is neutral pop the pop reports are neutral it's how buyers apply or misapply or process or if there are errors in the processing of that data and the conclusions that are drawn right so it's important you may see, you know, someone might see a centered card, set a record and go, oh, they're all going up. No, they're not going up. Those ones are going up. There's a demand for those. Similarly, we might see, you know, so many times you see a card, you know, ha- ha- sells for a poor price. It's like, oh, they're going down. No, they're not. The ugly ones are going down. What's happening, I think, in the hobby is that the attractive specimens and that whatever contributes to that overall eye appeal, it's almost like they're two different 
um, sets of data now. There's two different animals, two different ecosystems, one for the eye appealing cards that people are competing over and one for the others. I agree. Yeah, completely agree with that. It's, it's, it's the way that things have gone and that that's okay. I mean, again, people are going to do whatever makes them happy. Let's go to the rage makes a, another great comment right here. We haven't even talked about this, but the color has, yeah. the, when we talk about the surface or the, the print quality of a card, the registration is one thing, but how, how well did the ink, did the, did the printing plates hit that, hit that cardboard oh, yeah. at that time, or has it faded over time? is another thing. If they've been let out, left out in the light, that ink can fade over time. The color is so important. And really, you're not going to understand what that intended color is supposed to be unless you look at several copies of the card. Yes. So I think, and we neither you nor I have mentioned this yet, thanks to Rage for doing it, because color is huge. I recently picked up my 51 Bowman Willie Mays. I've been looking for one for over 15 years. And I wanted one that didn't have those typical, the, the lines coming down them, fish eyes or printing little circles in the name bar and mm-hmm. then color a lot of those have different tints to the to the color and i wanted something that had them all at a grade i could afford that was strong for the grade i ended up with a four what i'm that i'm very happy with but it's the color was so important to me on that card is color way up there for you too yes and col- color is part of when i say registration it, to me it's that's the the Im- i say image quality and i think color is a big part of that and again, if you like, you know, I, I noticed, for example, too, 75 Bretts, there's some color variation uh, in some of them. And again, the way you shop for the card in question that you just mentioned with the maze, you're doing the grading, right? You may say, you may see a seven or an eight of that card and you're like, not to me, it's not. <laughs> it's not my eight. <laughs> so, so why should you then treat it as such if someone else wants to find? So that I, you know, I, I, I applaud that. I think, and that's, that's the way I look at it. And you have, like you said, you have to, I think comparative shopping is important. That's why I use that VCP website because it's, I get to, I want to see all the different, especially with the centered cards, uh, the sign cards. I want to see what they look like. And I need to compare with the one I'm thinking of. If I see that there are four or five others that are better looking to me, not better means better looking to me, not higher grade then I know, oh, I can be, I can be really discerning here. But if you're looking like, for example, the first time I saw a a centered 52 mantle and then bought it and, and really broke the pricing grid for it, it was because I had seen so many and I knew through comparative shopping, wait, this is quite rare for this. This has the rare attribute. Same with you with the color, with the maze. Yeah, exactly. And I want to I want to just put some caution out there for people too that when you're looking online at cards, people can add filters to their images to brighten up that color. Mm-hmm. I don't know how well they can tighten up the centering uh, or or the registration, but the color can definitely be enhanced by image. So if you're buying something sight unseen or remotely that way, just be careful. Obviously, if you're buying a card at a card show or in person at a card shop or just in person, you can get a a much better look at that one other caution i want to put out there is that a lot of sellers have caught wind to the fact that the hobby generally is looking for cards with stronger eye appeal so you'll see subtitles on ebay as an example all the time that will say strong for the grade or undergraded that may or may not be their true opinion it just may be a sales tactic so make sure you agree with those statements before you put a bid in or commit to purchasing a card like that. Does that resonate with you at all, Matt? 
Oh, absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. It's, and it, it's the individual has to make the decision for their collection what what appeals to them, right? If it says, if it's just like a seller may say centered and it's not, I appealing you might not agree. Same thing goes for the flip. Yeah, exactly. Well, Twizzard makes a comment here. He says, PSA, and I think he means like all third-party human grading companies require transparency. How do we know? Uh, he, I don't know what he, what payola really means in this concept. Payola is like with uh, the radio, they used to give money to get certain songs played. Thank you. So, oh, that may. So, how do we know that that couldn't be a factor within the grading company internally when grading? And I think you know, I think you just have to really make sure that you agree with the grade yourself. Don't just take it for what it is. There's many factors involved especially that they're graded by humans who have good days and bad days. And that that's just the fact. And, you know, you said you've experimented a lot of people. There are people out there who've made a living buying a card that, that they feel is undergraded, sending it back in and it comes back with a higher grade. So it's really important to, to, it can go both ways. It could be overgrade. You could be paying more than you should for a card because they overgraded it that day versus undergrading, buying undergraded cards is a great strategy as long as it is truly undergraded um, in your opinion, I would say. So a good point there by Twizzard and good to see you again. We talked about becoming an expert. TDOT throws out that, that cliche, 10,000 hours. If you really want to be knowledgeable about something, I think, I think that that has that standard must be lower now with just the access to information over the past several years. Uh, Aaron Daniels here, Matt, makes the comment, I think ones can be wildly varied from, from being torn, stained, creased, having paper loss, to aesthetically solid. It is wild. Matt and I discussed this the other day, Matt, when I mentioned that, you know, the, the, the range of conditions in a one might be this wide, and then two, three, four, five to ten, like the difference between a nine and a ten can be this big, whereas the difference within a one can be this big. Do you mm -hmm. want to just speak to that in your experience? Yes. And I think that that's, to me, that's why I don't like paying. I like to say to myself, I, I never want to pay for corners, right? Like to me, I don't mind paying a lot to receive a lot, right? Because if we take a very beat up one, right? And a beautiful one, like again, because there's that big spectrum within ones, within twos, even threes, right? Because threes, you know, um, can often have creasing. And there are threes that don't. There are threes that have a very obtrusive crease. There are threes that have very mild, subtle creases. So um, there's so much, I, I think, and that to me is where the value, pound, those pound for pound best cards lie, right? Whereas I'm paying a lot and getting very little between a nine and a 10. Like, to you know, to me, I'll look, you know, like, Oh, that's where that big price jump is uh, at seven grade. Well, I'll just find a, a seven hiding in a six holder or sometimes a five and a half holder. Um, I, you know, that to me is, and it's more fun. And then you're hunting and you're also using your eye um, because again, that, because we've all seen there are too many uh, instances. Anyone who's played that grading game sees how, again, any card that's a seven graded 10 times, it's not going to come back seven, 10 times. Yeah, agree. Uh, it's, it's just the way the way it works. Twizzard here says value pertains to the buyer. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Yet standards still exist. 
I that sums up the reality really well. What you were what we were saying earlier about it's up to you. Great, you can grade the card yourself before you buy it. You don't have to just believe somebody else. It's really going to be your item and your money. So make sure you you feel that at least the price you're paying, you're getting a good value pound for pound as map. And I like how you say that. And the system tries, though. I think that standards are it's a, it's a, I think what third party grading does is certainly adds a tremendous value. Um, it allows us to transact with cards online and, and having an attempt at a standard um, is, is certainly a positive thing. It's, but I think ultimately the individual, their opinion about the card for their collection, that should always trump whatever the uh, verdict was from the standard uh, companies. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, T-Dot here says, I always said niceness should be a fifth category. And really, I appeal as I believe what, what yeah. T-Dot is getting at there. And I think I think a lot of people agree with uh, with you on that right there. T-Dot, hello to you, Collector's Dream. Good to see you. Chris Olivo says, I'd rather buy a well-centered eight over an off-centered nine. I think I'm with you 100% of the time on that. Michael Ham says, do you agree PSA is not giving the grade of 10s or grading certain key cards harder. All I know is that there's only two Wayne Gretzky Opeachy PSA 10s, and I've seen nines that are nicer than the 10. So I yes. think there is, I believe there is some truth to that, but I don't know for sure. It's, in, the, it's in their best, it's in their best interest. I mean, they want to keep, and I understand it. Look, at the end of the day, it's a company that needs to make a profit and wants to make a profit. Right. So how are they going to do that? They're going to encourage people to spend the most money on their highest grades. They're going to try to limit the, the um, population, the, the supply of those highest grades, and that will in turn drive submissions for people chasing those highest grades. So all the profit motive at every successive juncture is going to, to point towards, towards limiting that. But I also think that we're sort of, they talk about like uh, in the TV industry, like peak TV. I think we're in like a peak value time for collectors because they're hammering beautiful cards. I mean, I'm buying cards in five holders that look like seven and a halves and sevens that look like nines. It's fantastic if you're after the best looking card um, and it's saving us tons of money. You know, just don't don't be a slave to the crate. And I mean, it's a great time to buy. Well, here we go. Mets and Steelers fan says, buy the card, not the grade. Words to live by. He or she is quoting that, not his original term or hers. Uh, but definitely something that we've heard before and I think will ring true uh, forever. Let's uh, let's just get a bit into how you also collect autographed cards. And I believe you're collecting autographed rookie cards. Is that right? Or, or, or autographed mantle run? What, what's your thoughts on autographed cards and what are you collecting? If I, if I love the player um, a great deal, I want to have uh, an example of their autograph, especially guys that have, have passed away. Um, so that's that's the sole determinant in what, in what I pursue. Um, and it began with Mantle, and it began with with just coming across one on eBay, where I was like, "Wow, look how beautiful that is!" This again, he, signatures. The signature of the individual has to be beautiful. There are certain people's signatures that are aesthetically pleasing. And then there are some where you're like, what is that scribble? You know, cursive. They're not teaching cursive these days. Um, So, you know, Ruth has a beautiful signature. Mantle has a beautiful signature. Gehrig, um, Mariano, Jeter's got a distinctive signature. Um, So uh, it just began with seeing one. And it was at a price that I could afford. I didn't do any research. I just bought it. 
And then I, and I loved looking at it so much. And I love the notion of that he held it and signed it. And then I also said, began to say to myself, marveling at it, wow, what are the odds that a card like this, it was a 61, a card that is this centered and 61s have a lot of problem, the 61 mantle um, with, with print issues that black, you know, sometimes it's not very deep. Sometimes it results in a lot of straight print. Um, 60 mantle I found autographed and the mantle that's batting is often out of register. If you ever look at the batting mantle in that red pane, it often has weird shadowing effects to it. And so I began to say, you know, what are the odds of that? And then I realized they keep track of pop data. They don't keep track of card of a autograph grade. Um, and again, not that grade is end all be all quite the opposite, but for autographs, it's especially a gauge. You know that cards, you can have a three that's beautiful, but if the autographs are three odds are, you're not going to like the way it looks. Um, and I, I, I was blown away by the rarity. Again, you take, uh, I don't know the numbers offhand for all of them. I actually did a chart of this on my Instagram because a lot of people would message me and ask. Um, and I, one day I was, I was sick with a cold a few weeks ago. So I, I was just laying in bed and I just brought up the numbers and it was astounding. There's some cards, like I think it was the 59, where it's 10 times rarer a center assigned one than an eight or higher. Oh, wow. um, it really blew me away. And I just, and I loved that. Again, I'd rather rarity be created because Mickey Mantle touched the card than a card doctor. Than a card and, doctor. Yeah. yeah. And so that I really, um, I really respond to, to the rarity and uh, being created that way. And especially the difficulty of what are the odds of a somewhat pretty centered card being brought to be autographed because those are the ones you handled and loved. I remember my 86 top strawberry that I brought to Daryl to sign in 1986. That thing was already worn. I was like taking it around. So the odds of the card still being, having some appeal, the odds of the autograph being in the right place and being bold, um, that really impressed me. And I just got into it from there. And keep in mind, everybody listening, uh, watching that, we're not talking about pack pulled autos from recent years. We're talking about autographs on vintage cards, uh, in-person autos. We're talking about players like Mickey Mantle. I mean, you can talk about whatever you want, but I know that you, Matt, you're collecting certain players like an autographed Ty Cobb T206 or an autographed Jackie Robinson 48 Lee for 49 Bowman, a, a 33 Gowdy Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruths. I mean, yeah. these are extremely rare, of course because these players have long passed. Uh, and that's that's kind of what we're what I was asking Matt mm -hmm. about versus, you know, I see there's some talk about sticker autographs in the chat, which which yeah, I'm not a huge fan of either. But I just mm -hmm. want just wanted to point that out. Uh, Bobby Burrell, two days in a row, good to see you says very good or three grades on a 10 point scale really walks the line between a crease, a paper wrinkle, plus how far up does a corner ding go before it is a crease. So I think I think, and I agree, three is like the most uncomfortable grade for me. You know, I I don't want three. I'd rather have a, because I'd rather have a two that I feel looks like a four or better than a three that looks like a, a three or a four even, because sometimes uh, I don't, three is just a grade that I've never gotten my head around. I've never been happy with a three. I don't know why that is. I'm sure there's some great ones out there. Yeah, but. you can, that, he, he nails it. Bobby nails it because because of that def, that definition, the way that grade is applied technically. I mean, I've got some threes that really do look like 
mint cards from six feet away on the wall. It's amazing what you can find in that three, four zone. Right. For sure. Oh, and okay. also what you were saying, the, I just wanted to say the, there was an, an auction a year ago, two years ago. Um, the uncle Jimmy cards are sort of like the ultimate signed vintage cards. There was, um, signed Gowdy Ruth's and I was one of the underbidders on the, one of the Gary's just uh, amazing to think that those Titans held it and touched it and signed it. It's really, uh, really wild, especially as you compare the population numbers to, again, Babe Ruth touching and signing that, that is absolute, right? But saying, well, look at how rare this eight is, that, that taking the eight as the determinant of the rarity but we know that that's not absolute because the eight might be a seven. The eight might, could be an eight, five. The eight could be a seven, five um, versus Ruth signed it or he didn't sign it. So that th- there's more, the solidity to that draws me to it. Yeah. Fair. I, I hear what you're saying. And then it really comes down to taste. And what do you like? Is that like, are you looking for as a collector, are you interested only in rarity or are you, or scarcity, or are you looking for just a copy of the card as it came out of the pack that is, that is good enough for your collection based on your needs, your means and all that. And that's going to be up to the individual collector to decide. Uh, Nick Martelli makes a comment similar to yours. Safe to say that the autograph, that autos now are brutal compared to old autographs. It's truly shocking and disappointing. And I think he's just getting at how athletes today they don't sign their name they just might do a check mark or a couple of swirls and and call it a day and maybe that's also a function of having to sign thousands of autographs at a time especially when they're getting uh pads of stickers that they need to sign so it can be it can be tough and uh and i understand those comments for sure listen we're past an hour already matt this show is meant to be an hour long we could go for two more easily i know we said that last time too when we were on together with Rob Gerard, the sports card therapist. But I do like to ask every guest of Collectible Live. This is a show we're doing for Collectible, the fractional ownership platform, which is releasing, as I mentioned at the top of the show, a press release tomorrow with some pretty big announcements. If you weren't here at the beginning and you want to hear it once this is over, just rewind and you'll hear us, uh, you'll hear me go over that at the probably at around the three or four minute mark of this episode. So go check that out. But I want to ask you, Matt. How do you see fractional ownership fitting into the overall hobby landscape as we move forward in 2023? Well, I, I think it, it's here to stay, whether I participate in it or, or not. And I have tried it at the outset just because anything new, I want to experience it and develop an opinion of it. I think, you know, from a financial perspective, I, I totally see the logic. And, and I also see the logic from a collecting perspective, especially with pieces that um, that that are really uh, sort of unobtainable. So I, I think it's it's definitely going to be here to stay. And it certainly um, m- makes a ton of sense from a financial perspective for people who invest in it. Cool. Well, I appreciate your thoughts there. And I see, I see Sean Red here says, uh, keep going. We're going we're gonna to have to end this episode right away here, everybody. But I will let you know that I will be inviting Matt onto my, my other show, Sports Cards Live, which I do Saturday nights live many of you are aware of that we're gonna have matt on an episode of that and we're gonna go and just talk this out um at at greater length more even even longer form than one hour and uh, we'll take questions and comments so just watch my youtube channel for announcements on that but we'll have him back 
for sure. Thank you, Aaron Daniels. Great to have you join the show tonight. Thanks to everybody who did join. Reminder that next Sunday on Collectible Live, our guest will be Collectible CEO Ezra Levine, who will talk about the bids wanted in competition strategy that they are unleashing upon their platform later this month, along with some other things too. Ezra will be joining to answer questions and describe the new initiatives that they are taking, the evolution of Collectible, as we will learn more about next week. Thank you, Nick Martelli, Abdil. Good to see you there. Dot. thank you so much. And everyone else, appreciate it. Matt, I'm going to give you the final words, then we're going to end this. Thank you so much. And it's always fun to chat cards. I'll do it with you anytime. And, and when Ezra reached out and said, hey, you know, I you know, think maybe you, would you be interested in talking? It was when he mentioned you, I was like, yeah, I'll definitely do it because we had such a good time talking on Rob's thing. So it was, it was, it was all about you, my man. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that, Matt. Thank you so much. Again, everybody, have a great week ahead. We'll see you next Sunday on the show. And with that, this episode is over. Thank you. I do see final comments. Rage, thank you. Diamond, thank you. Bobby, good to see you. And thank you so much. And Mets and Steelers fan, I do hear you on that as well. So with that, everybody, this episode is over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.